What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. We have a very, very, very merry and special episode for you today because I am joined by not only Ben Solak, as I usually am on Wednesdays, but also Joe House. And Joe came bearing gifts in this holiday season. We have a fantastic weekend of football to break down for you. We've got a couple special Christmas night games that we're also going to be hitting upon. But first, We did a very special Thanksgiving episode, gentlemen, and we talked about pies. House shipped out some dessert pies. Everybody got a little bit of a different flair to these pies, but they were all sweet pies. And House wanted to change it up a little bit and went the savory route. And just like last time, we are going to be eating these pies as we are discussing the games. We're going to be talking about placing blame or credit to different teams as we work through here, tying it back into these delicious pies, which I call delicious house only because they looked delicious and they looked expensive, but I have not tried all of them yet. So you're going to get my raw, unadulterated feedback and grading as we go live here. But first, tell us a little bit about the pies and why you chose these specific pies for each of us. Fellas. It's the most wonderful time (laughs) of the year. Like, look, we have football nearly every night of the week, uh, professional football. I'm not going to say thanks to COVID, but it's the circumstances under which we are living. And we have nothing but wonderful opportunities in front of us, both with gambling, also with whatever menus are in front of us. For Christmas, hopefully we're all getting together 
with with friends and family. I know, you know, we're all sort of trying to be careful, but we do not have to be careful with these unbelievable pies. So you guys have been innovating the pie game. We've taken, you took the pie game right up to the Thanksgiving with Blaine Pie. And then after Thanksgiving, out came the credit pie. Now, I don't know which way to go. I'm, I'll put it to the two experts here. Whether a savory pie is better as a credit pie or a blame pie or the sweet pies, which one fits which, or maybe we just mix them up you like as you, as you kind of rank them and rate them, Sharpie. But I do want to give a shout out to Pie Shop DC, an independent pie shop, uh, woman-owned here. It, 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 it flows from the dangerously delicious pie entity up in Baltimore. We got Ben Solak out in Michigan, some dangerously delicious hand pies. It was the best we could do. So like if you move to DC, you could have the real, you could have these giant pies that me and Sharp are enjoying. I have a so lifelong just, friend who lives in the DC area and you're, you've made better sales for me to move to DC in the last month of my <laughs> life than he has in the first 24 years of my existence. My, well, there are better reasons than pie, but please. My, my, my wife brought the package in of pies today and just looked at me and was like, why, what are these? And I was like, <laughs> I'm on a pod with house again. I don't know how to explain this to you. He's just going to keep sending us food every time, apparently. Yes, that's right. They're cr they're credit pies, probably. I mean, if they're delicious, then they're they're credit pies. I've already, you know. yeah, I've already started all three of mine, if I'm being perfectly honest, and they're all really, 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 really good. Yeah. So Ben Solak uh, got uh, hand delivered the gold belt from Gold Belly some dangerously delicious pies. Uh, Sharpie and I here in the DMV are enjoying. Three savory pies from the pie shop here in D.C., uh, both a music venue and a pie shop. And, and I'll just the, the, I think the pies are really the, the star of the show here. Well, they are. And if you hear me talking with my mouth full a little bit, that's OK. Uh, if you hear my silverware clanking, that's OK, too. I've got some like uh, holiday holly uh, plates that I've got some of these uh, pies uh, resting on. I got two of these plates working for me this week. Um, nice. Two pies on one one pie on the other. And uh, I don't know how I dug into the first pie, which was the steak one just now. Yeah. And I think I might've made a mistake here because I think I went with the best pie first. This pie right here is unbelievable. The steak, mushroom, onion, and Gruyere pie. And one thing mm. that I noticed when Smog. I was slicing up the piece to preheat like the individual pieces, because I didn't want to ruin the rest of the pie. Just obviously I can eat three fucking humongous pies right now. Um, <laughs> they are not skimping on the size and quality of the meat that they're utilizing in these pies. I mean, these are massive chunks of meat and these pies to paint a picture. Sometimes you cut open a pie and you go to lift it out. Right. And it's a little, the top will flop down. The top of the crust will flop down and then like juices ooze out because it's really a juicy pie. That is not what these are. There, there is very little actual sauce or juice that just like oozes out of them. They're really held together by just the, the meat themselves. They do, you know, just crumble in your mouth a little bit. So far, I, I well, let me get another bite or two while we talk about our first game here and then I'll grade the grade this <laughs> yeah. one. Um, but I want to start right in with a rematch of a game we saw just a couple of weeks ago that was severely impacted by the weather. And this was the Patriots and the Bills game. And so like we did the last episode, the way we're going to work this is I'm going to introduce the game. I'm going to get any raw picks or opinions from our public better Joe House. Then I'm going to start grilling our film analyst, Ben Solak. 
get some input from him as to what he thinks is going to be the difference in these games. And I'll toss in some thoughts here or there, and we'll see if it changed or reinforced what House's positions were. So House, first of all, you've got the Patriots and the Bills. This game is Sunday afternoon, unlike the last game, which was a primetime night game. This one is set for the daytime, 1 p.m. kickoff, and the weather looks pretty good as of right now, although it is supposed to be rainy slash snowy up until like 8 or 9 a.m. Then it's supposed to clear up by 1 o'clock, 8 to 9 mile per hour winds with gusts into the upper 20s. I think that's pretty normal for Gillette Stadium in Foxborough at this time of year around Christmas time. And I don't think that that's overly windy. Um, it's also not perfectly calm. It feels pr- relatively normal to me. Uh, right now, the game is the Patriots minus two and a half, and the total sits at 43 and a half. Any initial takes on this game or bets that you've already placed, Mr. House? So, Sharpie, in the first place, I appreciate you recognizing the heft of these pies. Like when I went to pick them up today, the thing that jumped out at me as I as I lifted the pies on uh, stacked on one another, these are heavy yeah. pies. And it really fits the theme of what we got going here in December. These are heavy duty divisional football games, mm, games that like are that. going to decide the 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 playoff fate, the the seeding, all of, of how we are going to, to see the next uh month of our football lives play out. It started uh, two weeks ago. We are rolling along here in December. I think uh, one of the themes that you know, Sharpie, you've you've heard me just just enjoy this trend all season long. I love short road dogs. I love road dogs catching any, any road dogs under six points has been just clicking along at about you know a sixty six percent rate all season long. We really didn't see anything from these two teams in the first matchup other than a superior coaching job, a superior strategy from one team versus like, I think these defenses are pretty comparable. I think they're pretty even. I think on balance, Josh Allen's a better quarterback than Mac Jones. And because the sorcerer, as you call him, Bill Belichick whipped up a, a gale force, you know, uh, you know, Western New York uh, windstorm, you know, your, your lake effect kind of weather, the, the Patriots took advantage and it's, it's legendary, right? It'll go on his uh, uh, extremely long resume that they ran the ball three times and they owned uh, a division rival in a, in a crucial division matchup. Um, I like on balance, the bills in this situation, Josh Allen as a road dog has been, Really good. Uh, 17 and eight against the spread on the road, 15, seven and two against the spread as an underdog. So I, I just, uh, my lean right now is, is on the bills. Okay. And this is a perfect uh, game, of course, with the line sitting at two and a half to have a couple of different options is how you would want to play it. You can either p- spend a little bit more and buy the hook. You can also wait and see what the public does here and then maybe get the three later if you so desire, or you could tease it. So there's a variety of different ways that you could attack it if you do like the bill. So let me transition to speaking with the film expert. And before I do that, Ben, 
I got to grade this uh, because I'm I'm going to work into a second pie and I wanted to have a clean palate before I start mixing the grades in my mind. I got to say this steak and mushroom and Greer, as long as you like mushroom, which I do in reasonable amounts, I'm not a mushroom fanatic. I'm not growing them and picking them out of my backyard, but in just respectfully appreciate the mushroom, which I do. Um, I got to say out of a 10 point scale, this is probably an eight, nine. And I never went that high on any of the pies. So this, this, I don't think can be topped. I would be shocked if another one of these tops it. An eight, nine is like a great, because this is not fresh. I'm not at DC pie shop, uh, pie shop, DC sitting there ordering it and eating it in the restaurant, right? This is a reheat job. Um, so for it to be this good, I, I got to give it that credit. Ben, what do you think about the first pie that you're diving into before you dive into this game? Once again, cannot stress this enough. I've already started eating all three pies. <laughs> I had absolutely zero self-control when it came to these. Uh, they're very good. I'm currently eating the country breakfast pie, which for me has like eggs and sausage and onions inside. Oh, and wow. it's really freaking good. Um, which we're talking about a country grown, country grown boy out of Wyoming and Josh Allen. I talked about this game a little bit on our Wednesday show or on our Thursday show, excuse me, on the Ringer NFL feed, one of our preview shows of the week. And just, I, I, I'd watched Watch back that that Bills Patriots game. I looked at the box score and I just I I thought the Bills were the better team. And the the context makes it so difficult to say that. So like I'm saying that with what like 10% confidence, 15% confidence. But you go and you 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 watch that game back and you remember situationally the Bills were down by seven. They got inside the 20 in the second half and kicked a field goal from the 17 yard line. They got down inside the 20 on the next drive, missed a field goal from the 15. They had first and goal at the six and took a sack. Uh, then the next drive, they got down inside the 20 again, had first and 10 at the 14, and then eventually had a fourth and 14 and turned the ball over on downs. Three opportunities in the second half inside of the 20, and they got three total points out of it in a game that ended up being decided by four points. Both Sean McDermott and Brian Dable have this week talked about situational red zone football is a really important thing for them. And we've seen Gabriel Davis, who had one touchdown in that Patriots game, get two more in the Panthers game. He's become an important part of their red zone package because he is that big body, right? He is that ball winner that we've been talking about that they need in this receiver core without Cole Beasley playing because he's unvaccinated on the COVID list. He's going to be out for this game. Uh, uh, Davis is going to see more snaps and I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a heavy red zone target along with Dawson Knox, who obviously is an important guy for them in the red area. The other thing that stands out is something we talked about house, uh, or no, excuse me, not house, uh, Sharp, we, you and I talked about this in the immediate wake of that game. The Bills had 20 early down runs and they had 23 early down passes and the 20 early down runs just sucked and the 23 early down passes were really good. And and even aside of like EPA performance, on late downs, they had only one run. Everything else was a pass. So if you're going to pass on like third and four, there's no reason to run on first and 10. They're like kind of is, but in general, there isn't. Like if you're going to still throw on that third down, just throw on the early down and throw it for three downs. Let Josh Allen cut through the wind, test that Patriots secondary because Patriots aren't playing as much man as they used to. They're playing more zone, and it's because they don't really have as deep of a secondary as they used to. So I think you see a heavier uh, passing attack on early downs from the Bills, and then I think you'll see some Josh Allen runs. He had 109 rushing yards in the first game. You'll see more of those in the red area because they know they've got to get seven instead of three as they were in the first game. So because of those improvements that I expect and because the Bills just looked like the more talented team a couple weeks ago, whether or not withstanding, yeah, I like the Bills uh, to, to win it straight out. 
I definitely certainly like the Bills at three. I bought the hook earlier this week. And at two and a half, I'm going to fold them into a couple of teasers. I did this exact thing with the Patriots plus two and a half against the Colts. It really looked like it was going to work there for a second. And then Jonathan Taylor decided to just screw a bunch of betters late. But yeah, I think Bills plus eight and a half. I'd be surprised if this is more than a one score game for them. So now that you're you're aligning with House, I want to go back to the prior meeting because that's going to be front and center of most betters minds. So I want to ask you this. Let's do blame pie for this example. Yep. When I went back and looked, you mentioned they were 50, what, 20 early down runs, 23 early downs passes. If you factor out the fourth quarter and look at the first three quarters, because naturally they were losing in the fourth quarter. And I think that they saw, oh, hey, we can actually pass the ball a little bit more. They actually went a little bit more pass heavy on those early downs. For the first three quarters of the game, Bills were 60% run on first down and 64% run on second down in the first three quarters of the game. Collectively, those rundowns, they averaged 2.6 yards per carry, minus 0.6 EPA per play, and 38% success. And thus, they were then forced to go 80% pass on third down into obvious passing situations. And you mentioned like they were basically always throwing the ball on third down. So here's my question for you from a blame pipe perspective. Let's pretend that the that the Bills had the opportunity to redo that game. How much of that game do you think falls on the, the, the fact that they lost that game falls on the shoulders of their execution offensively, their defense, or the play calling slash strategy? Like how much of you got those three buckets to throw it into? How much of that blame for that loss would fall onto just their strategy and their decision making from like a coaching perspective? I, like I, I want to say a decent bit, but like let's call a spade a spade. I'm a dude sitting at my desk saying, well, this is how I would have done it if I was preparing for 40 mile per hour wins. And I've not coached a football team ever. Right. And so like you weren't really happy with with the game plan they came out with. I wasn't really happy with the game plan they came out with. A lot of people weren't. And especially once they started throwing the ball better in that second half, it was like, well, come on. Why didn't you let him do this in the first half? But that's that is really easy to say from your chair. You know what I mean? And so I, I do think the biggest piece of that blame pie goes to the the strategy coming in and saying, well, in this weather, we just have to run the football. You probably don't, you know what I mean? And, and I think that we wouldn't see this level of early down run pass balance if the game had been playing in regular weather. And that's why I expect what I expect for this upcoming Sunday game. So I put more of it there. Execution still is a big thing. I mean, they could not pass protect for their life against the Patriots in the first matchup. And now they're doing, you know, kind of uh, musical chairs at the tackle position. Spencer Brown had to play left tackle against the Panthers. It was horrendous. He cannot play on the left. He has to play on the right. Uh, so they're kind of shuffling the chairs around again on the offensive line. So execution is there. Like, you know, every every strategy can work if you get perfect edu- execution, but you have to kind of plan for that. You know what I mean? You have to assume you're not going to get it. Uh, and so I do think that in the context Going up against a division rival, a team they really wanted to be in the weather, they said we we just we have to be able to run the football, and they were wrong. And and, and a ho- the hope and the prayer is that for round two they realize we got to let the Bronco buck. We're, we're going to win this game on Allen, or we're going to lose it on Allen. And that's how we built this ship, and we got to ride it now. And I think they can win on Allen. I think that he's playing well enough, consistently enough that even if they get a couple bad plays from him and Belichick gets him in a couple bad spots, they're going to be okay. Yeah, and I don't know offhand. You probably can look it up quick, Ben, uh, as long as you're not eating a slice of pie. But 
uh, what the leverage is for the Bills from a playoff perspective if they end up losing this game. I know their last couple of games are against some crap defenses, literally two of the worst in the NFL. They've got the Falcons and the Jets the last two games of the season. This offense should look a lot better in those games. And, you know, they've got eight wins right now. They drop this game, fall to eight and seven. They can still probably get to 10 wins uh, at the end of the year. Do you know mm-hmm. what the leverage is on this Yeah, one? so right now, 538 has them at 77% to make the playoffs, 34% to win the division. With a win, they go up 21 points to make the playoffs. That's 98%. And the division goes up over 50 percentage points. They go to 88% with a win. So you're not just pretty much securing playoffs with a win. You're pretty much securing at least one home playoff game as well. Uh, with a loss, 63% still to make the playoffs, but the division is gone. The Patriots are almost just guaranteed winning it at that point. So you're right. If they lose this, still make the playoffs, beat the, beat the Falcons, beat the Jets, and you're chill. But if you plan on playing at home at all, this is the game to win. Yeah, and I I don't I mean they obviously want to play at home. Depends if if it's a nice day up in Orchard Park, then that's one thing. If we got winds and they can't throw the ball quite as much, like obviously that's going to actually be not a home field advantage. It's going to be a road field advantage there. Here's the trivia question for both of you guys. This is a fair question for each of you. Um, I don't know, House, if you can pull up really quick the New England Patriots defensive schedule. Just pull up the opponents that they've played. Um, Joe. Uh, uh, Joe, you do that. Ben, you do that as well. Here's my question for you guys. Name the last quarterback that has played the Patriots, the most recent one, who had over 50% success rate against this Patriots defense. Herbert, uh, week eight, Chargers. I would have guessed um, Dak. It, you guys are in between. It was actually Mike White. <laughs> it was Mike White in week seven? Of course. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Yes. Mike White in week seven. So he didn't have a good game from an EPA perspective, but he did exceed uh, 50%. Right, all those short passes, yeah. Yeah, all those short passes. So here's the thing. This Patriots defense, we've talked about it before. They really haven't played very many great quarterbacks, but like they have done well against a lot of the quarterbacks that they had faced. Like Justin Herbert didn't hit 50% success rate. He didn't have a very good day against these guys. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I still believe, go ahead. Hold on. I'm looking up Davis Mills. I think he had a good day. Look at that. (laughs) 21 to 29, 312 yards. Sorry. Yes, he did. That was back in what week five? I yes, believe. it was early. Yeah, yeah. so that was a th- that was early. I know, I'll have I know, to look I know. back up and I see remember if he did that exceed fifty percent. That first quarter was fun. Been like, hey, the Texans, and that didn't happen. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I look. This New England Patriots defense, I think, needs to get pushed to the brink. My opinion on this game is the Bills. So I do want to ask another strategic question uh, of you, Ben. Is that Buffalo is going to be without Cole Beasley? We don't yet know if Emmanuel Sanders is going to be back there. What does this passing offense look like? Like, how are they going to attack? We we know that they need to pass. We know the running back runs need to just go by the wayside. My opinion for this game, just like you said, let the Bronco buck Josh Allen from Wyoming, you know, the Cowboys out there, let these dudes buck. And you've got to let two things happen here. You win this game with either Josh Allen runs or Josh Allen passes. We're not going to win this game with running back runs. And so... We need him to be throwing the ball at a pretty high rate, but now you don't have Beasley and you may not have Sanders and you may not have Feliciano who's still on the COVID list. He wasn't there for the prior game, but getting him back would be great. But I don't know if he's going to be able to test out and make it back for this game. Um, how are you attacking this Patriots defense without those guys? Are we just going to see Diggs like go over his catches prop and his yardage prop with ease here? 
I'm not sure we do, actually. Uh, and that, and that's a little bit the J.C. Jackson factor. He's just a doggone good cover man. But also, when there's no... We got to remember, so Brian Dable, Air Coriel, right? Like, New England Patriots-style, Earhart Perkins, whatever. Like, it's going to be all this, like, option route stuff, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman nonsense. And that's Beasley for him. But when he was in Alabama, and when it was Jalen Hurts, right? It was RPOs, vertical, quarterback run, right? That's the Air Coriel stuff. That's what he does with Allen, when their back's up against the wall, right? Like when they need a bucket, they can run the Earhart Perkins stuff and they can run the timing stuff with Beasley, whatever. But like, if you go and you watch those red zone reps I was talking about, they're just running like four verts, right? Like pick a spot, shoot. You know what I mean? We are not out here separating. We're just gonna take a one-on-one and go. We trust our guys to beat their guys. Our better is better than your better. When they have Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and Dawson Knox as the three primary pass catchers, even if Sanders is available, that's verticals. That's verticals and intermediate. That becomes, we're going to go four wide. We're going to swing the back out as a check down. We're going to run intermediate and vertical routes. And Allen's legs are going to be his own check down. I expect, like, if you're if you're DFS building, Allen captain, 100%. Because the ball is going to be in his hands constantly. He's going to be shooting deep. And then if you're looking props, I'm on, like, longest reception for Gabriel Davis. Longest reception for Emmanuel Sanders. Because I think it's going to be, a, like, a little bit of spread the wealth, a little bit of pick your matchup, and it's going to be explosives. And that's how I think they build it out when you lose Beasley. You push everybody downfield. You pull those zones as far downfield as you can. And if they're flooding the deep, you let Josh Allen run for six yards. And you just hammer it, hammer it, hammer it. Last thing for me on this game, and I, I love that. I hope that that is the strategy that they ultimately employ, Ben. Last point for me, I'm talking to you, Sean McDermott. This is a playoff game. This is a de facto AFC East championship game, right? They lose this game. They have no shot. They win this game. I think you said they're like 90-something percent. Yeah, it's 88%. Yep. 88%. This is the AFC. We rarely get like an a divisional championship game, but here we have at week 16, a divisional championship game at 1 p.m. in New England. If you want to go on the road and try to win the AFC East this year and repeat as champs, you had better not settle for these dumbass kicks inside the 10-yard line. You had better be going for it on fourth down. I want to see the same type of aggressiveness that you guys executed on that fourth and two late game situation with two minutes left to go in the game against the Carolina Panthers last week, where instead of kicking a field goal or running the ball just to try to get a first down and kneeling out the clock, both of which would have been somewhat reasonable for a team to do in your situation, you decided to roll out your quarterback, play action, and throw the ball into the end zone. You're already up two scores at the time. You're just pouring it on. You're adding insult to injury. That's your attitude for this game. You cannot try to come in here and play cautiously and carefully and hope to be in the best situation late in the game. You better be guns blazing. I am going for these fourth downs. And, and you have to live with that because there could be an edge. We know Bill Belichick has not been optimal. He has been suboptimal in these fourth down situations. If you want to give yourself a coaching edge, a edge in terms of expected win, adding to your win probability, you can do that because Belichick probably will not. You got to go for it in these fourth down situations. Stop kicking these field goals. All of that said, House. So Solak's on your side. You've got to feel pretty good about this one, my friend. Uh, if if House saw my betting sheet from this past weekend, he would not feel good about that. Make that very well, clear we, from we, the jump. <laughs> Last weekend was a bloodbath. It, it was it was mixed results for me. I, I caught a little bit uh, back last night. Thank God for the 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 Rams. I mean, I guess the the 
they they nobody on the Rams commits pass interference, which is just well, you know lucky for them. I uh, but <laughs> lucky for you too. Yeah. The, Get Sean Hockley and... off my TV. That's my <laughs> takeaway. Well, I haven't heard anything to dissuade me from the Bills. We're on the Bills. Sorry, America. It's what we're going to do. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's move on to another big game. Let's go to the Christmas night nightcap. Uh, we've got the Arizona Cardinals hosting the Indianapolis Colts. House, immediate take on this game. So we are at the point of the season. This is another thing we've been talking about on, on our show where the identity of teams, the December identity of teams is a, a, a crucial component as we forecast how these playoffs are going to, you know, we're, we're lining up. What are the matchups going to be? And on the one side, the, the Indianapolis Colts, we know their identity. It took a while for them over the course of the season. And this is something that was honestly in your book, Sharpie, you, you forecasted in your, in your summer preview book that the Colts uh, have this habit of taking a while to get going. They had a brutal schedule to begin the season. But now that the one, once they sort of hit the, the middle of the season mark, that identity started rounding in shape. And now I feel like we saw the best version of the Colts, the true version of the Colts, against the, the, the um, Patriots last weekend. Saturday night, they were on. An, it was an island game, right? It was the only game on Saturday night. All of America was watching the Colts handle their business. And it was a physical team. It was a team that owned both lines of scrimmage. It was a team that pounded the run. It was a team that did not let their most vulnerable position snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. They let Carson Wentz throw the ball 12 times, which was absolutely the correct game plan. <laughs> On the other side of the ball, who are the Arizona Cardinals? Unfortunately, Kyler Murray coming back from injury in week 13 has not been the same version of Kyler Murray that we saw in the previous uh, part of the season. And it, it is very similar to the experience we had with the Cardinals last season, where he would he looked fantastic through a, a great portion of the season, got hurt and really never came back. I feel like it's deja vu all over again in, in that respect. Um, I also just love the idea of the Colts getting points in this position. Uh, Cliff King, Kingsbury as a um, favorite, a home favorite, not very good. There's a bunch of stats um, that I won't bore folks with, but I, I am taking the team with the strong playoff identity, the team that I'm watching on hard knocks every week. All they do is get on that television screen and, and, and convince me that they're going to kick the world's ass. I'm on the Colts. I love the Colts. Okay. Okay. So what did you get them at? Did you already bet them? I assume I got them at two. Okay. I think it's, but it might be down to one now. It is down to one. It's down to one. It fluctuated, went down to pick them all the way down to pick them. It's still pick them at some spots. Then a little bit of Arizona Cardinals money came in here. Um, and so it's back to one at some other spots, but yeah, it's, it's universally, you could probably say down to one, um, but there are some spots that are at pick them. Speaking of 
picking. Um, I got to tell you, House, first of all, I'm eating the mumbo potato pie, which yes. I have no Ooh. fucking idea what mumbo means. <laughs> what is mumbo? Oh, wow. Big well, mumbo. So look, Gigantic. No, so this is the thing. This is how... I know that you're a suburbs guy, not a city guy. Now, I'm not I'm not taking that mantle for myself. I have lived in the city for over 25 years. I went to high school here in, in the city, here in Washington, D.C. It is a sauce that's like a, it is a native to Washington, D.C. kind oh. of sauce, the mambo sauce. Now, Chicago claims to be the true or originator of it, but D.C., sometime in the late 50s or early 60s, it, it emigrated here to D.C., and it has been part of the carryout experience. So here in Washington, D.C., throughout many communities, there are these Chinese food carryout takeout places, and those places featured this sauce. It's kind of a combination of Chinese sweet and sour with a little bit of ketchup and a little bit of hot sauce. That's the best way I can describe it, but it, it delivers a kick. It's a reddish, orangish sauce. It's less sweet than your Chinese sweet and sour. It has a punch, but in this potato pie, Sharpie, it, it's an elevator. It takes, at least for me, I'm just look saying my own taste buds. With the, the food background, with the history, that's well, impressive look, stuff. Look, look, Ben, come on. This is how, House of Carbs, baby. 2022. That's how we do it. This is how we're doing it. It's coming back. This we're talking literally talking about carbs. So so thank you for that. I gotta I gotta tell you. I mean, I had very low expectations for something called mumbo potato pie because I didn't know what it, I looked at the ingredients. It's pieces of roasted red potatoes with bell peppers, onion, and a mix of shredded cheeses with a splash of homemade mumbo sauce baked into a flaky crust, making for the ultimate cheesy potatoy comfort food. Now. That sounds great. The last part, the beginning part where they're telling me the ingredients, I'm like, uh, what, what in the world? Like, I don't know if I'm <laughs> too much of a fan of the way that this sounds. I got to tell you that for, for a non-meat pie, right? I get, is this vegetarian? How would you, vegan? How would you couch this? Because there's probably, no meat in probably it. Probably vegetarian. Yeah, there's no meat, um, but There but is cheese, vegan. there's dairy. So yeah, I don't, there, I don't know what vegan. that yeah. qualifies for. But at any rate, this thing is a winner. I mean, I got to say, I thought that the steak, mushroom, onion, and Gruyere pie would be like by far the best. I'm, I'm giving this an 8.8. Okay. One, wow. like a, a touch below. I am shocked by how good this pie is. I think if anybody goes to the pie shop DC and gets this pie along with like a meat pie, that one too, you won't be disappointed because this does have a little bit of spice to it. Um, I did take my, I got my Pepsid complete over here. So I took that beforehand. <laughs> I'll be okay afterwards, but I, I'm a big fan of that pie. Now I'm going to transition to this game and something I'm not a big fan of Ben. And I want to ask you this, um, your opinion, let's do this based upon a pie again. Your opinion of where these Arizona Cardinals were to start the season probably wasn't that high. I know in our discussions on our Wednesday show, you didn't have a lot of high expectations for like Cliff Kingsbury and this team in general. Like you thought that they were okay, but not like knock your socks off, right? Then they go seven and zero to start the season. Let's pretend that's like a hundred percent. That's like the complete pie. That's where they are. Now here they sit. You know, they lost to the Rams. They lost to the Lions, despite having Kyler Murray back for both of those games. How much below 100% do you have this team in your mind? Are they they 70% of what you thought that they were back at, after week seven? Are they 40%? Like, where is this team to you? Yeah, I think, right, right. Like, that's a good way of framing it. Right now, they're, I would say, like, 
where I expected them to be preseason. Okay. So off of what we got from them in the 7-0 win streak, right? They're like 75%, right? And now it's worth noting, a lot of that is health. And, you know, Sharp talked about, or excuse me, House talked about December identities. Very correct. The other thing that matters in December is health. You know, just ask the Bucks. Bucks were sitting pretty. Oh my God. All of a sudden, it's like, holy smokes, what's this team even going to be? Right? If you just get unhealthy at the wrong time, it sucks. And Kyle is clearly at less than 100%. The lack of Rodney Hudson has killed them in pass protection and in the running game. The lack of DeAndre Hopkins is really important. Like specifically for air raid style offenses, which is what Cliff is, right? Like the 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 um uh, the Bills, they lose Cole Beasley. Well, you can put some more Gabriel Davis in and you can put some more Isaiah McKenzie in because their wide receiver roles are fluid. In an air raid offense, the wide receiver roles are the wide receiver roles. So now Antoine Wesley is on the field more, not Rondell Moore because Wesley backs up the X and DeAndre Hopkins is the X. And that's very like, rigid right so like losing hopkins is is bigger than it looks because they don't have enough fluidity in the wide receiver room to like actually get the talent that they want on the field now so that's a problem and then you've got robert alford who's on uh ir now and he was a huge man cover guy for them and it's like all right they've got all these big injuries but the biggest one and it took us a while to see it it took us a second to find it in the numbers but the biggest one is jj watt and i and i tweeted this uh, going through that Cardinals uh, film against the Lions, where obviously that was such a, a shocking result. Since week eight, which is the J.J. Watt injury, the Cardinals' defense is 18th in EPA per play allowed and 20th in success rate allowed. They are an average defense since Watt went down. And very simply, uh, I'm looking at my steak and stout pie right now, which is very, very good. This is not a stout team anymore because on the interior, they're light without JJ Watt was going to play defensive tackle for them. We have to remember. So it's Zach Allen on the interior. Now he's a 290 pound player. Their edges are Marcus Golden and Chandler Jones. Those are not big bodies. They have Isaiah Simmons at linebacker. It is not a big body. They are not big up front. They are not big in the trenches. And this has been a problem for Cliff's team throughout years because A, they can get out physical and B, you know, at least heuristically, at least, you know, in terms of how NFL guys talk about it, smaller dudes are more likely to get hurt when you get later in the season. And now they're dealing with more Kyler nagging injuries as they've done in years past. They are small up front on both sides of the ball. You know who's like not that? You know who's really big up front? <laughs> you know who's just huge and mean and will just out-physical you in the trenches on both lines uh, until the cows come home? It's Indianapolis Colts, right? And so you watch what the Colts have done in the running game over the last several weeks, you know, kind of capped off by beating out the Patriots, who are another really physical team. And then you look at what the Cardinals have dealt with in the trenches, capped off by losing to the Lions, a team whose only strengths are in the trenches. And you look at this line at plus two and you think to yourself, why? Right. And so I bought plus two right when it opened. And for me, it was a CLV thing. I could see the Cardinals winning this. I see the Cardinals figuring out the passing game. Sure. But I was very surprised that this opened at Colts plus money. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm expecting this to close at a pick them or cross by the time we get to, to, to Saturday, right? I think this game is. And so to me, I wanted the CLV and I also like the, the way the matchup plays out in the trenches. Uh, I think that the Colts have the ability to just do exactly what the Lions did and just ram it down their throats for four quarters. Now you mentioned how bad this defense was since they lost uh, JJ Watt. And what's interesting is they really haven't played over the last like five, six games, any decent offense with the one exception of the LA Rams. They played the number 31 ranked Detroit Lions offense. They lost outright and mm-hmm. allowed a ton of points there. They played the number 30 ranked Carolina Panthers offense led by Philip Walker. And they lost that game. They allowed 34 points in that game. They beat the number 26th ranked Chicago Bears offense. They played 
The Russell Wilson-led Seahawks offense in his second game back when he clearly wasn't healthy, and they won that game, held Wilson in the Seahawks offense, which obviously has not gotten back on track fully, even with him getting healthier. Uh, They held them to only 13 points. And then, of course, they played two weeks ago Matthew Stafford, and they gave up 9.6 yards per attempt, plus 0.36 EPA per attempt, 60% success in one of Stafford's best games of the year as he threw for three touchdowns. Um, I want to talk a little bit about their run defense and what you think about that particular matchup on the ground. You mentioned the Hogs up front. Now, I do know that Quentin Nelson practiced Tuesday, practiced, uh, Tuesday. yeah, because they're one day ahead because the game started. Practice Tuesday, missed today with an illness that's non-COVID. So definitely something to pay attention to, Quentin Nelson. Um, we'll see if he can get back, hopefully, okay and health-wise for, for this game. Um, Arizona's run defense been allows 17% of runs in the first three quarters of games to produce explosive gains. That is the worst explosive run defense in the NFL. Now they're playing the best explosive run offense in the NFL of Jonathan Taylor. Um, Talk to me first about, like, I assume you think, like, that's an easy answer, right? Like, will they have success? Is this steak pie great? Yes, like, simple answer. (laughs) They should have success on the ground. Talk to me, though, about Carson Wentz. We saw him struggle. Uh, I know that there's mixed reviews. Like, if you look at certain situations, especially over the last half of the year, he's been decent when he's passed the ball, but yet, like, there are things that you can certainly nitpick. I know you've got a lot of history with him. Um, Try for a moment, though, to put blinders on and forget what you know of him from Philadelphia. Just look at, like, the last month, five, five, six games of what he's been doing. Is this a guy who is going to mess up this game for the Indianapolis Colts out in Arizona? I can never fully say no, right? Like, <laughs> right. we saw him try. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's always there. Um, what you, like, we talk a lot, I think, in, in terms of, like, a general construct of how, uh, you know, a running game and certain styles of passing game, like, for example, the RPO game, which is obviously a very big part of what uh, the Colts do. You know, we talk about how that minimizes a quarterback. It minimizes his role, and it makes it easier for him, so on and so forth. That that narrative is nice. In reality, things aren't that neat, right? And and you can't minimize and and, and quiet a quarterback to that degree, right? Wentz had twelve attempts. One of them was was drastically deleterious, and you know, really almost put the Colts in a bad spot. But what it does do is it gives you the sense that you you don't have. Uh, the the weight of the team on your shoulders. From the moment a quarterback is good in high school, you are the guy. The team lives and dies with you. And 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 when you're when you're so good in high school and you're so much better than everybody else in your college and whatever, like you know, you're the guy in Philadelphia, the number two overall draft pick. It is expected that the team rides with you psychologically. When you just go to Indy and like you know, there's just not as much visibility on you. Jonathan Taylor's in the MVP conversation. You you can make that mistake. And then go out in the next drive and not like hate yourself. You know what I mean? Not be in a place where you're just like mentally bad. You're just wrapped up. And that's what it is for Wentz. It's not that the mistakes are gone. They're still there. It's that the bouncing back is happening a lot more often, right? In in Philadelphia, it was the compounding of mistakes again and again and again throughout the whole third quarter, the whole fourth quarter. Now it seems like he makes it and then they come back and they just hand the ball off. They let Jonathan Taylor do some work for them. They get a quick throw on a third down. All of a sudden, they put together a little drive, and like that mistake is forgotten. So it's the fact that Wentz isn't as much of the tent pole anymore as he is just like one of the supporting factors. That means, yeah, always there's a chance that Wentz makes a mistake that's like a ten point swing, but he doesn't make them 
over and over again as much. And I think that in and of itself is a victory for which like Frank Reich deserves his flowers. Okay, so House, you've heard Ben's take. You've heard a couple thoughts from me. Obviously, I don't think that there's anything to deter you from feeling good about what you've already placed earlier in the week. You've got closing line value along with Ben, at least to this point in time. I assume you feel pretty good about this pick right now. Not only that, while you guys were going through it and I was getting more and more confident, I went ahead and parlayed the the two short dogs. I put the Colts right next door with the Bills. That little so parlay ambitious. pays out plus, plus 320. Why wouldn't I do that? Why? I mean, it's, you know, I understand all of the ways these bets could fail. And yet I like putting a little bit of extra December faith in 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 both of those teams, uh, the, the Colts and the Bills. I think are showing us of the version of themselves that they hope to be. The Bills have been slightly disappointing. The Colts are rounding into form now, but have to minimize Wentz mistakes. I just kind of like the position of those two teams. Vacation alert from the three-row Jeep Grand Cherokee L. Mama and Papa want to go hiking. Los abuelos want to relax at the beach. And the kids want to go to the amusement park. With seating for up to seven, you and your loved ones can enjoy all these adventures and more. Jeep, there's only one. Visit jeep.com to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, so speaking of having faith, I want to transition to the next game, which is the Ravens and the Bengals. And I had a lot of faith in the chicken pot pie entering the three pie showdown that was delivered to my doorstep. Um, And what I will say is this, this tastes like chicken pot pie or chicken noodle soup that your mom would give you when you were younger. The flavors and the flavor profile, outstanding. My lone issue here was with the toughness of the chicken. And I guess it's probably very difficult to hit that on the nose in terms of making that chicken tender enough, but it pales in comparison to the tenderness of the steak. Um, And I'm working my way through this. I'll give my final grade once we finish discussing um, this game. And, And so I'm hoping that this game doesn't pale in comparison because Ben, in a second, I'm going to ask you a little bit about what the leverage for playoffs is. Both of these teams, the Ravens and Bengals, both sit at eight and six. Big one. So I want to ask you first house betting take on this game. Right now, the Bengals are laying two and a half to three points. Money has come in a little bit on the Bengals to three. And this total open at 43 and a half is up to 45 at most spots. There's still a 44 and a half out there. And I see a couple of 45 and a halves out there as well, but mostly it's 45. Do you have a take side total before we start analyzing this one? The only aspect of this game that I'm interested in is, is the total. Um, we have been talking about the AFC North every single week because they are by some weird uh, phenomena, the only division in the national football league where every team is 500 or, or better. The only division without without a losing record. And yet I think they all stink. 
and and I mean it's 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 just my my watching eye. I don't enjoy watching the games. I don't know how the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Tennessee Titans last week. I don't know how the Ravens battled all the way back against Green Bay and blew up that perfect Green Bay teaser and cover and everything that was in place last week with the Packers. Um, I will say uh, the the one thing that I, I I'm interested in in getting the weather report on is is this game. Um, what, what's it look like? House, I will look up the weather right now on one of the apps that I go to quickly, but I can tell you because I'm already invested in this game that I have been tracking the weather quite closely in Cincinnati, Ohio on December 26th. And as of right now, surprisingly great. No chance of precipitation whatsoever. Winds of only five miles per hour. Gusts of only nine to 11 miles per hour. This is gonna be perfect conditions. And I already told you I was invested in this one. I'll go ahead and spill the beans and share some of the logic as to that. And then I'll kind of quiz Ben a little bit on this one. Um, I took the over at 43 and a half when it first was posted. And that's why the line moved up to 45, 45 and a half. We saw a little bit of a wave of under money, drop it back down. Some spots, it went all the way down to 44, where some of the guys that I work with rebet it at 44 and went over. This is kind of a contrarian angle on this game. When you think about AFC North in December, you're not thinking about overs. When you think about the Baltimore Ravens offense, you're not thinking about overs. When you think about both of these defenses, you're not thinking about overs. Before I dig into the total, the Ravens, interestingly enough, are great when they play a team for the second time in that season. They are 8-0 ATS since 2019. John Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson, 8-0 ATS when playing a team for the second time in the season, regardless of what happened in the first meeting. That seemed very impressive. I went to double check, well, what are the Bengals in this situation? I was shocked to see that the Bengals, over the last five years, 11-2 and two ATS themselves. Wow. Now, under Zach Taylor, they're 5-2 and two ATS. The difference, though, is that the Ravens typically are probably favored in these games, whereas the Bengals are typically the underdog. And that's flip-flopped, obviously, in this game, as the Bengals are the favorites in this game. But they've both been pretty good in the role of playing a team for the second time, making adjustments and figuring out what they need to do, both offensively and defensively. And specifically, the Ravens' offense has been very good. They only averaged 23.9 points per game in that first meeting. That moves up to 31 points per game in that rematch game, in the second game of the season. So their offense figures a few things out and their defense gets a little bit better as well. When I'm looking at this game, though, and I'm looking at the Bengals, my first thought, Ben, was, well, what did they do last week? How did they look last week? And they played Den uh, they played Denver in Denver, and they didn't look that great. And curious to hear what your film study might show on that. But from the numbers and from my eyes, they didn't look that great. But then I realized that Vic Fangio's defense is, is, is shockingly incredible. And if you look at what Vic Fangio's defense has done to teams, he's done a great job. I, I know the the uh, Broncos haven't been winning a ton of games, but I think they're 10 and three to the under this year. They hold opposing offenses in check. And so I thought to myself, let me go and research what Vic Fangio's, what, what teams that just played Vic's defense do the next week, right? We know that they typically go under, their offenses don't look great. Okay, now after they play Vic, what do they do the very next week? 10 and three straight up teams that just played Denver. Nine and four ATS, eight and five to the over. Of the last six games, 
Four of those six games saw teams that just played Denver score 40-plus points the next game out. And the two that did not was the Washington football team when they scored 29 points as double-digit underdogs to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, won that game outright. And last week, the Detroit Lions, as double-digit underdogs as well, they put up 30 points and upset the Arizona Cardinals. So even the teams that didn't hit 40-plus points, scored basically 30 points each, and pulled out double-digit outright upsets. So these offenses tend to look a lot better after they're done playing with the Bengals. I don't expect them to drop 40 here. Let me just state that for the record. But keep in mind, when they did drop 41 against the Ravens earlier this year in Week 7, Baltimore had Marlon Humphrey. Baltimore had Deshaun Elliott. This secondary is now decimated. They should get a couple guys back from COVID, but they're not going to be even close to where they were in that earlier meeting of the year. Um, so Ben, I got to ask you this. Why was the Cincinnati Bengals, why were they so successful as they were the last time that they've played this secondary? Why did Joe Burrow have a lot of success? And do you expect anything similar in this game? Because the Baltimore Ravens quite clearly are a pass funnel team. You don't want to run the ball on them. You want to throw the ball on them. And Mm -hmm. I know I asked you a question. Now I'm going to state something. So that's a bad job of me from an interviewer. (laughs) But what I want to say, I want to fit this in there, is that the Packers could have won that game a lot easier, Ben. But on early downs in the first three quarters, they literally went 50-50 run pass. Their runs gained just 3.8 yards per carry. Passes gained 9.9. They should have been more pass heavy. They would have made the day a lot easier for them. When the Bengals played these guys back in week seven, Of 37 early downs in the first three quarters, they called 27 pass plays. They went majorly pass heavy in that game. And so Joe Burrow had a lot of success. So why were they so successful earlier? And do you see that having any success, having any success in this rematch? That the the pass heavy note is really interesting and really important because and I'm scrolling through to find it. Hayden Winks of Underdog Fantasy just recently tweeted out this neutral pass rate look for the Bengals. Yeah, here it is. Week seven. 0.62 neutral pass rate, the highest number of the Bengals' season. Since then, they had 0.62 again against the Jets, 0.61 against the Browns, bye week, and then 0.42, 0.5, 0.38, 0.52, and 0.48. Since they came out of the bye, they've been run heavy. And I think a lot of that has to do with the absence of Riley Reef, right, who's officially on injured reserve. Their offensive line's been banged up. And when teams don't have a good offensive line and they can't feel like they can protect, they run the football. Uh, because it lets your offensive line come off the ball. It lets you get into the play action game. You don't have to worry as much about dropping into your five-man protections. And there's no team in the league, as much as it pisses me off, that doesn't know how to run any protection scheme outside of just five dudes. And that's, that, that is the Bengals. That's what worries me here, is that the Bengals are going to stay run heavy because they don't feel like they can pass protect against the, the Ravens, who have a pretty good edge duo. Tyus Bowser, uh, the, the young rookie, Odafe Owe. They got a good group there. I'm worried they don't feel like they're going to be able to pass protect against that, so they're going to go on a run script. That does worry me. By the same token, the like you said, the secondary is even worse, and they were getting theirs with like CJ Uzama up against Marlon Humphrey in that Week 7 game. Like They have to feel good about the matchups that they have. T. Higgins is playing a lot better. I know Chase had a couple quiet weeks, but in general, you have to feel good about him. I, I Maybe they go pass heavy again. Maybe they kind of see the error of their ways, given how slow this offense has been the last couple weeks. But I'm very worried about that Reef absence. He is really important to them in terms of how they call their plays and in their just success in pass protection when they are passing, period. And then I look at Lamar potentially playing at like not 100%, right? Because they're, they're still hoping he comes back for this game, but the ankle's still keeping him out of practice. And if you have... Not full scramble Lamar, 
plus run heavy Bengals, total starts to worry me, right? And so that's why like there's uh, there's a lot of variance in these two teams in terms of how they have been over the last few weeks and the players that they're getting back and they're missing and whatever. And this is a very tough game for me to handicap for that reason. I'm going to take Marquise Brown over four and a half receptions because it opens like that every single week and it hits every single week. But other than that, I'm not really <laughs> sure where I'm going to land on this one. Talk to me about the return of Nick Boyle. Pretty underrated return, but he is one of the better blocking tight ends in the league. He played after missing two games against the Packers. So he he played last week after missing two games previously, and he missed like basically 16 games uh, a few weeks prior to that with a knee injury that he had to get surgery on. Um, You know, what do you see in this Ravens offense that is going to be able to make something happen against this Bengals defense, which obviously so far this season has exceeded most people's expectations. We know the Ravens struggled against these guys last go round. Specifically, where they struggled was on third downs and fourth downs. I think they were like one of four on fourth downs. They were like three of 10 or 11 on third downs. Very poor performance on those high leverage situations, um, which tells me you got to avoid those. You got to stay out of those situations as much as possible, be more efficient on early downs. Do you see them having any success there? Mm. I, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to say so. <sighs> I'm not. I'm not sold that they do. I, I think right now, I think things are 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 too discombobulated, and you throw in the health situation as well. I um, I find it a, they're a very difficult offensive play, especially given the things that they like changed when Huntley was in, and they, they've now moved into place with with like they were a little bit more spread out, and and they kind of let Huntley play a little bit more in the drop back game, and you don't really know why they're not doing that with Lamar, and that's something that really pisses me off because it should be easy for them. It should be like you have these athletes put them in space. The Nick Boyle point is well taken because he's a really important uh, guy to add to their surface, right? Like they love to go heavy and condensed to run with Lamar, which is again like another thing that like works, but it could be better. Will it be better on early downs? Like I don't know. Is Lamar ninety percent? Yes. Be seventy percent? No. You know what I mean? Like I, it's 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 too conditional on Lamar, and it's also a difficult thing to prognosticate given what we saw the offense look like with Huntley and the question of to what degree are they going to take some of those changes and be like, oh, we can just go like shotgun four wide on first and 10 and Mark Andrews is going to be open. Like if they take that and extrapolate that to this game, they're going to be great on first and 10, but I'm not sure they want to be that when they have Lamar back there, which is one of the really frustrating realities of Greg Roman and, and how he kind of calls this offense. A hundred percent. So do you have any, you, you like the, um, you like the wide receiver prop for Marquise Brown. Yeah. Marquise any Brown. takes on the side total of this one, or are you staying away from all of that for the time being? I get why you're on the over. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see this thing become like either a shootout or a run around for the Bengals just in general on offense. Like if they go to that, that what they were in the middle of the season with that pass heaviness, I could see it. I'm not confident enough that I'm going to take it. If I, in the pre-show, I tried to guess what you were on. I guessed the under and you're on the yeah. over, which tells you that I'm, I'm, I'm messy right now in terms of where I like on this total. I think that the Bengals are probably your value. Uh, Sharp talked about short dogs being so good this year. Uh, and I think that they, they do have a little bit of value in that regard. But this is probably going to be a game where I mostly look at props just because this is a really predictable passing offense uh, with the Ravens. And then Joe Mixon red zone touches are also really predictable as well. So Mixon usually anytime touchdown is like minus 110, minus 115. And that's been profitable this season. So this is going to be a game where I take my props. I enjoy watching it. I'm very happy. I'm not sweating something stupid come the fourth quarter. Yeah, this one does feel like it's going to be a sweat towards the end. Uh, House, obviously, Ben kind of poured a little bit of cold water there on the over. 
lot of uncertainty. Do you have any takes based upon hearing him? Do you do you feel a little bit less confident, but um, you're still rolling with it? What are your thoughts? Well, I would love to see some, some Ty Huntley. Like, I honestly believe the element of surprise that he kind of represented. He's tough as nails. He really, I mean, the 75 yards... Four touchdowns out of out of Ty Huntley. All he does is is score touchdowns. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested. Did Ben? Um, what's five thirty eight say are the playoff fortunes for the Ravens? Uh, if, if you know, depending on the outcome of this game. I love how I've become the five thirty eight guy. You guys, you, you the five thirty eight is a public website. You guys can go <laughs> on this website you're, if you want. You're you're a you. My you hand has got one, one of my hands yeah. is on uh, fork, and the other one's yeah. on my. There's, we cup. have hefty pie over here right now. Ravens are fifty six percent to make the playoffs, and the Bengals are fifty one percent. With the win, Ravens go up to eighty four. With the win for the Bengals, they go up from fifty one to seventy five. So basically, you're looking at anywhere from twenty five to thirty percent increase for the winning team. And it would be the we we think this is to determine the winner of the AFC North, right? I mean, is is the, the it, Browns yeah. statistically still have a chance? I guess. Yeah, because the, the Browns as well. Yeah, yeah, they they do, especially because the Browns and the Steelers both have two divisional games left. Browns and Steelers play each other in Week 17, and then in Week 18, Browns against Bengals and Steelers against Ravens. Um, and so Browns and and Steelers both play Chiefs and and Packers this week. And so if those games are chalk. Then they're going to kind of play themselves out of out of a an easy look. They'll have to get really lucky down the stretch. But I know we're going to touch on Steelers Chiefs in a second. I would not be surprised if that game goes really freaking haywire. So too early to say it's definitely for the division, but it, it it does give you a three out of four chance at the at the worst to win this to win to make the playoffs if you win this Ravens Bengals game. I'm going to do a teeny tiny money line play on the Ravens based on what Sharp described. I know what the, the stat that Sharp shared was a, an against the spread record of, of Harbaugh in these second games, but I just like, you know, tiny, tiny bit of, of Ravens action under these circumstances. Slight, slight nod to, to uh, Harbaugh. I'm tipping the hat to the, to the Ravens organization. That's all. Okay, let's move on to the Rams and the Vikings. What is going to be... Uh, pretty much an elimination game for the Minnesota Vikings. They're they're hanging on by a thread. And I will say that this chicken pot pie, you know, I think the ordering <laughs> of this pie was bad. Um, it, it, it is hanging on by a thread too. Love the flavors. My score on this one is going to drop down. I'm going to go with 7.1. It is a great pie on its own. I don't dislike it. I will be eating more of it, but you stack it up next to these other two elites and I don't think it carries its own water there. And speaking of, you know, not being able to carry their water, we have the Vikings obviously been more of a disappointment than uh, really impressed us uh, recently. And my concern here, Ben, well, before I ask you a question about this game, and we're going to fly through this game, the Steelers game, and then the 49ers game in very quick order. But House, any betting opinions on the Rams, Vikings? The Rams right now are favored by basically most spots, three points on the road. The game's in Minnesota. It's in a dome. The total sits at 49 at most spots as well. So 49 and Rams minus three. Any betting take on this one? I I only have square takes on this. The Rams are rolling. So my lean is on, on the Rams and anything under 50 between these two teams Feels like there's value on the over. Uh, I, I, you know, give me 50 and 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 way north on on these two teams. Um, but that that's it. Just leans. No, I don't have a strong opinion. Okay. So my main question, Ben, if I'm looking at this game, you aren't going to need. Uh, the Rams looked great eight to seven out of their ten plays, like as they're rolling through, and then they just 
Matthew Stafford takes a bad sack or the offensive line protection breaks down. Something like some mistakes happened there. And that's why they weren't scoring as much. And you see them moving the ball, but they're just not getting the points because they're failing in certain situations against the Seahawks on Tuesday night. Now they're playing on a short week and they're having to go to Minnesota, which is a hostile road environment. My question is this. If you're going to go and hit this 50 point total, you need to get 50 to win. You're going to need Minnesota to do something here. And I got Kirk Cousins. I do have him at a good time slot at 1 p.m. But if you don't have Adam Thielen out there on the field, how confident are you that Kirk is going to be able to get the ball still to Justin Jefferson, even though he might be mirrored by Jalen Ramsey, which is kind of like a, a, a very difficult matchup for a youngster like Jefferson to dominate. And I wonder how much confidence Kirk has at throwing the ball frequently in Jalen Ramsey's direction or if he'll work the ball elsewhere. Then you have their O-line needing to hold up against this Rams defensive front. How do you see this game going side total? Do you have any betting takes on this? Yeah, so if there's no Thielen, you get to give the Ravens Devontae Adams treatment to Justin Jefferson. And the Bears did this a little bit. You saw Jefferson go under in his total in that game. Uh, to me, that's going to happen again. Uh, I will say if it is one-on-one with Ramsey, if there is a prototype of receiver that has given Ramsey problems in his career, which we could argue there isn't one, but if there is, it is a guy who can move like Jefferson, right? Devontae Adams being one of the prime examples. When you have that level of releases, a guy takes one false step and it's 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 curtains, right? And so Jefferson can get his against Ramsey, in my opinion. Uh, what really does uh, make me feel stronger about the over is that the Rams defense has struggled with the wide zone rushing attack this year, right? You've seen them general uh, have trouble against San Francisco, had trouble against it with Derrick Henry. This is the, the approach that right now is giving trouble to the way this defense is trying to play ball. Uh, that's obviously falls into Minnesota's hands the way they're able to run the football well. And then, yeah, if you're taking an over in the Rams game, you're just praying that you get the good Stafford plays where they matter and the bad Stafford plays where they don't matter as much. It's kind of like the Carson Wentz roller coaster a little bit. You know you're going to take your lumps as you go through. Uh, so I also, I agree with with uh, with House. Anything under 50 does feel a little bit low in this game. For me, though, my position is what it always is. We wait until the Vikings get a multi-score lead in the first half. We live fade them on the spread. <laughs> Because the Bears' live fade was 13 points. They were down by 14 the whole game. Had so many opportunities to score. Couldn't punch it in. And on a meaningless fourth down touchdown throw, covered the live spread. The Vikings never, the Vikings always jump out to the early lead and never finish the job. If you are not live betting Vikings games, you are not taking free money. So that's going to be what I do for this game. Free money is right. One final question on this one. How well do you think that this Rams... O-line holds up against the Vikings D-line. In years past or even earlier this season, that might be a slightly different perspective. The Vikings D-line has lost a couple of dudes, though, up front. Uh, but I don't love this Rams O-line. So who do you think wins that matchup? Do you think that they can protect Stafford well enough here on the road? Nope. Uh, the, the, my biggest concern with the Rams right now as a playoff team is the play of the offensive line. Bobby yep. Evans at right tackle uh, uh, last night. I can't even remember what games were played when was was really bad against Carlos Dunlap. Uh, the interior I've talked about before has been a problem outside of Whitworth. They are not sound to pass protection. Yes, the Vikings defense doesn't have guys right now, but they do have Mike Zimmer. And man, if anybody in the world can scheme up a pressure with Mike Zimmer, I mean, it's ridiculous how good he's been for the last decade and get they 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 have they're setting a record for consecutive number of games with the sack right like their ability to get the situational sack is unbelievable and Stafford is just not he was never a pocket mover and at this era of his age and his back 
He just does not. He is a statue in there. Uh, so they're going to get theirs. I think that you're going to get those Vikings rushes. You're going to get those third down stops. If you're an over better, you're just hoping that becomes a strip sack and a short field. Okay, so now let's transition into a Sunday afternoon game where we have the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the few teams that was like supposed to be good early in the season and have been playing well over the last few weeks. Most coaches say, the season starts after Thanksgiving, and then most of these good teams have been either getting injured like the Bucs or falling off and performing worse. And so we haven't gotten a lot of consistency from these great elite teams that we thought that we had. But the Chiefs have been stringing together some performances. They are favored at home by seven, seven and a half points. Big question marks here, Loom, about COVID, though. And Ben, I know you had a take on the Ringer NFL show, which everybody should be subscribing to as well. So I'm going to ask you your quick take on like whether or not you do have some of those key uh, playmakers, whether whether Travis Kelsey is up there, uh, whether Tyreek Hill is up there, because we don't know yet if both of those guys are going to be able to play or not. They're both dealing with COVID, and we know the protocols are relaxed a little bit more, but you still got to test out of it. You can get the test in the same day, but you still got to clear it. House, any quick take right now on this game with the Steelers catching seven, seven and a half points and a total sitting at 45 based on what we know right now from a health perspective? I get the Steelers wrong every single week. So this is a yeah. stay away. I, I like the, like, you know, um, I still like any situation where the Chiefs are favored by more than one score because it's still the case that, you know, they, they covered that a um, couple times over the, the last handful of games. But for the most part, those numbers are are favorable on a contrarian kind of play. The Lions still anything with the Chiefs above one score feels inflated, but I'm not touching this game. The Steelers scare me. Okay, Ben, what do you think about this one from a betting perspective? Yeah, I think, right, like, for for House saying I can't get the Steelers right, to me, I'm saying, listen, the Steelers are the same thing every week. They just play an ugly football game, and they, they just make you play this slot ball, and they're always involved in the fourth quarter somehow. And it's just, if there's something I trust, it's the Steelers being able to cover a multi-score spread, right? And right now, like, seven and a half, tricky. If we can get this thing to, like, eight, nine, yeah, I think I think the Steelers cover that. I do not believe in this Chiefs offense as fully rehabilitated, even with Kelsey and Hill active. I know that Kelsey had a nice explosion there to end the game against the Chargers. It was once Derwin James left the field. To me, he's like getting better, but he's still struggling. The offense in in its entirety, it's getting better, but it's still struggling. Uh, and so I don't trust them against a really good Steelers defense, very good pass rush uh, to to score more than twenty. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna beat the Steelers defense. You got to run the ball. Chiefs cannot do it. Chiefs do not have that arrow in their quiver. Uh, and so TJ Watt's going to win his. Mega Fitzpatrick's going to, they're going to run the Josh Allen game plan. They're going to sit with those safeties right in the intermediate middle hole and say, listen, either throw a deep bomb to the outside of Michael Hardman or throw a five-yard swing to Clyde Edwards-Alaire and we're going to tackle him short of the sticks. We're not going to give you anything beyond the sticks breaking on the inside. And they're going to, if they do that successfully, which is, if there's no Kelsey, they should have a really easy time about it this defense is going to sit on the Chiefs. I really think the Chiefs are going to struggle to move the ball and score. And so I like this idea of, of getting the Steelers here at, at more than a touchdown because the Pittsburgh's ability to make teams play close games, to make teams play low with them is really impressive so far this season. House, I could tell you why you probably have not been right on the Steelers very much this year. That's because I know for the public betters, I know you're sharper than you seem, but you still have this background to you that you like to pay close attention to what just happened and bet what you just saw. The Steelers have not 
strung together two consecutive ATS wins at all this season. So they'll cover the spread and then you'll think, okay, maybe I should bet on them this week and then you'll lose. And then they'll cover the spread and then they'll pull an upset and you'll think maybe and this is a week and then they lose. So it has been a very difficult team from that perspective to try to handicap or bet on because they have not been able to be very consistent in terms of covering spreads this year. The last game that we want to discuss is the next game that we're going to watch. Thursday night football, the Tennessee Titans at nine and five are three point home underdogs to the San Francisco 49ers. This total sits at 44 points. This game's on primetime. It's Thursday. House, what do you think about this game from a betting perspective? Have you bet this at all? And if you haven't yet, where do you lean? So I didn't bet it um, because I thought the number might move in my favor. It opened at San Francisco minus three and a half, but th- that number I think is gone now, right? It's isn't it sitting at three? It was there was th- some three and a half correct earlier today. Then one of the groups came in and bought up some three and a halfs and dropped it to three. Yeah, so that 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 is one thing um, that that steals some value out from under me. I also I love the Titans' position here. I this is, feels like a nice Vrabel kind of game, right? They they had a poor his poor performance against the Steelers last week. They lost a game that they, they kind of dominated, honestly. Uh, and, um, you know, I think the, the sort of rah-rah component of Rabel under these circumstances, is it matched up with the way that they perform as an underdog. Generally, Tennessee um, is pretty good. But now the news with um, Taylor Lewan and uh, he's got a back injury. He's not going to play. Roger, Roger Saffold, Saffold yeah. out. So that now, now to me, it's a stay away. The problem and, and and San Francisco is rolling. Like everybody's watching San Francisco go on on this um, little streak of theirs. Garoppolo ten uh, touchdowns over the last six games to only three picks. It looks like he's rounding into form. It feels like we know San Francisco's playoff identity a little better. Debo and and Kittle's out there just doing whatever is called for uh, by by Shanahan. You know what I mean? They're like positionless in a way. Um, and so I want to jump on. San Francisco, but I just, I just, it's a stay away now. Okay. It definitely does feel very public. San Francisco, of course, especially after Tennessee dropped that game where Pittsburgh really had no business winning it from a statistical perspective. Yeah. But they were able to, they were able to squeak it out, make Tennessee look bad. Um, and then you, of course, have San Francisco rolling. Ben, what do you think about this one? Side total, any insights into this game? Yeah. So I, I've been making money on the Niners covering the spread now for a few weeks. And that's why I very much, I'm I'm feeling that honey trap like you're talking about, Warren, where it's like, listen, let's just do it for one more week. Why wouldn't we do it for one week? It's going to happen for one more week, right? Uh, And there is a little bit of suspicion with a three-point line against the Titans team that if there's any team that can Steelers it, right, and just make it an ugly game, make it a low-scoring game, drag you down into the muck and make it tight, it's Tennessee, right? And they did that against Pittsburgh and just like like you said, didn't come out on top. So I do like Niners minus three. I do think that the, the, the Niners cover, but I do want to make sure my eyes don't get too big for my stomach here and that I'm not just kind of, you know, blindly betting the Niners because they've been good for me recently. So I'll continue to watch this. Like if, if Niners minus 2.5, I can get that hook at anything less than like minus 20. I'll probably take it uh, just because I'm, I, I believe in the talent of this team. And if it's going to be one more week, I might as well be in a one more week. The other thing that I'll, I'll just look for is just anything Debo because... At this point, Debo and Kittle, Kittle receiving yards are easy. And then Debo rushing plus receiving is right now it's in like the 70s, which is not 
This is just not accurate. It's not gonna, he gets too many touches. It's just simply, he's too explosive. He gets too many touches. He gets a banged up Titan secondary too. Like uh, I'll, I'll take my props and I'll be happy with it. Yeah, it's been interesting watching this Titans team. I mean, obviously they have not done well against the spread with the exception of the game against the Jacksonville Jaguars that they won 20 to nothing. But they really haven't played very many good teams over the last like four weeks. They've, they've well, actually it's five weeks, four games in that span because they had a bye week thrown in there to get a little bit healthy. But I mean, they're playing dregs like the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers, which sorry to say, I mean, they're they are sort of dregs. Uh, they they rank bottom half in offense and defensive efficiency. Uh, the last time that they played a team that ranked top 10 in offense and defense was the New England Patriots. And, you know, New England gave the, up some explosive runs and allowed the Titans to work the ball down the field a little bit, but uh, New England easily put up 36 points in that game um, and had their way at the end of the day, 36 to 13. Uh, So this will be a tough test because the 49ers ranked top 10 offense and defense. Um, I I do want to get your scores house. I mean, I don't know if you want to do them as as particular as I did with the pies. uh, No, you're you're a statistician. What I would give is, is AAB plus. I I'm a, I'm a generous grader. This is the time of year where I like, you know, uh, finals are in. I I like to to skew the the curve towards the high end. A for the potato, A for the smog, the steak, mushroom, onion, gruyere, and then a B plus for the chicken. And I think you're absolutely right, Sharpie. I bet this chicken dinner pie, if we received it in the pie shop and sat down with our forks right there in the moment, it would just jump off the plate and be a wonderful hearty meal. The the transport and the reheat may have had a little bit of an uh, impact on it. I got I got to say, I was not expecting much. I'll be honest with this pie order compared to the dessert pies because I am I do have a little bit of a sweet tooth, especially in the evening as it is that we're recording the show. But uh, I was way blown away by how good these pies were in, in general, and those couple in particular. I like the smog. You said the smog. That's a pretty cool acronym for it. Um, I, I like that one. And of course, the potato pie. Ben, how about you? Uh, maybe you grade based upon numbers like me. Maybe you grade based upon letters like house. How do you grade these suckers out that you got? Now, I'm a, I'm a film guy, so I just like give descriptive terms and nobody really knows what those mean. <laughs> uh, so, right. So, now, uh, my my steak and stout pie is a clear Super Bowl contender. Uh, I would say my my breakfast pie with the eggs in it is like uh, like a surprise, like a dark horse. I did not think it's like a shepherd's pie sort of a thing. It's sick. Mm. And then my chicken pot pie is is uh, Jeff Fisher, baby. That's just 500 every <laughs> single day of the week. Listen, that's all reliable. That was really good. So those are pretty, pretty consistent with what we found in the ones that were hand delivered mm. to us. Um, and that breakfast pie does sound pretty good. You might have yeah, uh, some I, opportunities I some to uh, dive into that tomorrow morning, whatever might be left over. Uh, on your end. Um, any final thoughts, any final takes guys before we dip out here and wish everyone a great holiday? Just hoping that we get all the games in and most of the guys are able to play. Hopefully, you know, I, 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 I'm a a glass half full kind of guy. Maybe there's a way to get most of the guys on the football field and we keep these games close to the Saturday, Sunday, skip Monday schedule. Amen to that. Ben, how about you? Oh man, I just hope we get cleared clean playoffs right i think the worst thing in the world would be a playoff team just having to put garrett gilbert or whoever out there you know what i mean so let's let's right let's get through the regular season and let's get 14 healthy healthy teams into the playoff luck and let's have a fun january 
Yeah, I think that this slate here is going to be fun because we've outlined several games that are either de facto elimination or early division championship type games for like the AFC East, for instance, for instance. And I'm really looking forward to watching this slate unfold. We've got Thursday night football. We got a doubleheader on Saturday, which is Christmas, and then the full slate of everybody else on Sunday. So hopefully we get all these in and I'm really looking forward to it. House. Thank you, as always, for the pies. Tremendous job on ordering those. Always a treat to get those. That's why we love doing these compound shows with you because then we get free treats while we're, while we're <laughs> going through them. So that was great. Thank you guys so much. That's going to do it for our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This was a ton of fun. We'll be back on regular schedule starting Monday with Chris Vernon. Of course, thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht, who were not eating pies with us but I'm sure that they were having their mouths water as they saw us indulge ourselves. But thank you for their production skills. Thank you to Joe House and Ben Solak for joining me. Good luck on your bets this weekend. We will see you back on Monday.